0: This is a show about facing fear, unlocking courage, and taking action.
1: Courage isn't necessarily a daunting thing.
0: It's going to give you more purpose. It's going to give you more drive.
1: It feels like making a courageous decision is going to get you closer to who you aspire to be.
0: It's knowledge plus faith plus action equals courage.
1: It's not enough for financial goals if your family life sucks. It's not enough to have great family life if your health sucks. And it's not enough to have great health. If you treat everyone else like terrible to me, it's how do I become an overall holistic person that adds value to other people's lives?
0: You know, I haven't met too many people who have turned from entrepreneur to actorpreneur and my guest today is probably the only one I've seen that I've interacted with that I've seen really make that leap. And look, the show, which is about following your heart and even when it's hard, even when you're afraid uh, is about taking those leaps. And I'm joined by Stephen Cox today who is doing some pretty amazing things. First of all, maybe does it feel courageous because in some ways it's like you, okay, there's money in the bank now, right? So there's some, some risk is mitigated because of, well, let's back up. I'm today I'm introduced, introduce, introducing, Stephen Cox. who was the founder and CEO of take lessons. Do you call it? Did you ever, do you call take lessons? Yes. Okay. Which was sold to Microsoft. Right. So, and congratulations, by the way, what a journey that was.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Why don't we kind of go back first and do that? Like, how does a kid go from, so you, you went, did you grow up in Kentucky or did you go to school in Kentucky?
1: Yeah, grew up in Ohio, so Midwest guy, and uh, ended up in school in Kentucky. And then at some point, yeah, then I ventured out West.
0: <laughs> and just did you just always have that in you, or you're just, life is an adventure and off we go, or how did you get West?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, so there's an old saying that I learned, and that is, um, what the child does not have becomes the obsession as the adult. Ooh. And um, there's a lot of psychology to unpack there. But uh, I grew up yeah, in just a a town called Dayton. It's a a little mid-sized town um, directly in the Bible Belt. My dad was a Pentecostal preacher and mom was a homemaker and played the organ at at church. Um, But, uh, you know, Ryan, we grew up really, really poor. And some people talk about... Um, you know, kind of making it in welfare. Like I had distinctly remember, you know, driving to the government centers and picking up the five blocks, uh, five pound blocks of government cheese in the white and black. Um, and it was kind of like a Velveeta, sort of tasting, but like a lot worse. Um, and you know, that's that's how we grew up. I I remember one distinct day. Uh, it was in the middle of winter. And it 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 snows in Ohio, uh, unlike out here in, on the West, uh, West Coast. But it was freezing cold, probably, you know, somewhere close to zero. And um, we were sitting at the dining room table and my mom asked me to run out to, to get the mail. And so I did. So I booked it outside and swung open the door, came back in and had grabbed the mail and it just freezing outside. And, you know, it was February or something. I probably was 11, somewhere around 11 or 12. And I gave the mail to my mom, and we were all sitting around there, and you know, it's mom and dad, and we had four kids, and she opened the Dayton Power and Light bill, and just opened it, read it, looked at it, and then just burst into tears. And I just remember hearing her say, like, "I have no idea how we're going to pay this. I don't know how we're going to pay this," and there was just this almost this exasperated, exhaustive. overwhelming feeling that I saw my mom go through. And I remember that day because there was something inside of me that clicked. And I said, I will never be in a situation where I'm putting my family through this. And so my, I guess the, the lack of financial wherewithal drove me to try to figure out how to not repeat that sort of pattern in, in my own life. And so some people I remember even through college and then I would try to start businesses. And I remember I sold, um, when disc drives came out, you know, like the five and a half inch floppy, I'm a little older. Um, they came out. And so, you know, uh, college students needed these. So I figured out a way that I could buy those in bulk and then sell them on college campuses and, and basically make a buck or two and try to pay for my, um, for my school. But it was always kind of like those sorts of things. I, I needed a place to live. So I, um, basically convinced um, this this gentleman who owned real estate to let me take over three mobile homes and I could rent out two and just live in one for, for free And because I didn't have any money. So it was almost like a forced sort of thing. And, you know, Ryan, you talk a lot about uh, courage. Part of my courage came from basically not having another alternative. Right. And so when you, you know, kind of hit that uh, realization that... Um, It is more powerful to take action and less fearful. There is more at risk for you not to take action than for you to take action. Um, Then things become a lot easier for you. So I think that was kind of this repetitive cycle I got into. And people are like, oh, you're money hungry. And I'm like, no, I'm just completely broken. I I don't know how I'm going to like eat. So it was kind of that sort of mentality. But I but I kind of developed that into a, a very, I think, healthy view of money. And it was about that time when I learned about, you know, Brian Tracy and Anthony Robbins and some of the motivational speakers that really kind of helped me understand that at a, at a young age, you know, into my early, early 20s, late teens, that money makes a um, wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And I always kept that in, in check and knowing, hey, there's, this is a great opportunity for me to continue to uh, better my entire life, not just financially, but understand that um, uh, there is a, what I learned along this path was I had a mentor and he said, listen, you know, I hear you say, what do you really want? And I don't know, I was like 21 or 22. I'm like, I want to be a millionaire. I got to be a millionaire. <laughs> he said, I remember him just thinking, and he said, So, Stephen, that's not a bad place to be, but don't be or don't want to be a millionaire for the sake of being a millionaire. Want to be a millionaire because of the type of person you need to become in order to have that goal and to attain that goal. And it didn't quite kick in in, re- in realization of what that meant, um, but until much later. But really, it is the kind of the driving force of of kind of how I've viewed my life and has led me even in the past 20 years. It's not just the pursuit of materialism or that sort of thing, but it is the pursuit of a higher character necessary, in my view, in order to attain the type of goals that I want to attain. It's not enough for financial goals if your family life sucks. It's not enough to have great family life if your health sucks. And it's not enough to have great health if you um, treat everyone else like like um, like terrible, and so to me, it's how do I become an overall holistic person that adds value to other people's lives? Um, and you know, money becomes part of that uh, mission, becomes part uh, of that taking risks uh, become part of that. And so, I think what happens over uh, over a period, uh, Ryan, is that um, courage becomes habit, and you get into the habit of taking calculated risk or being courage, uh, being courageous, uh, not having all the information, but taking uh, action anyway, continuing to build up your knowledge and skills so that you can um, you know, act in, in, in the best way possible and minimize the, the probability of loss. So all of those things, again, th- it's very hard at the beginning. Um, for me, it benefited me because I didn't have anything to risk. I was like, I have zero to start with, so it's all upside. But over time, what happens is you start developing these habits that turn into, um, into pursuits
0: lifelong. I mean, just so the audience is aware, you and I both lived in San Diego for the same time, for quite some time before. I mean, now you're up in LA, you're going for it. And, but it wasn't like we were best friends, right? It wasn't like we were enemies, but it wasn't like when we saw each other, it was always easy. So we, yeah, we we haven't spent a lot of time together but i guess i sort of set that up to go you know i'm sensing that you're an old soul and and maybe that's because you had to grow up fast maybe that 11 year old version of stephen who remembers that moment is like that like that's what it began and off you go onto your journey maybe it was before maybe not but i mean The other reason I'm saying like you're an old soul, the idea that you had a mentor at 21 and declared a mentor, consciously declared a mentor, um, knew who Brian Tracy even was. And I'd love to know, like, how old were you when you started stumbling into those types of people? Because I was so afraid. I was just trying to survive New York City. Mm -hmm. There was a lot more fake it till you make it than I would like to admit. And and it was I'm gonna have to outwork you if I'm gonna survive, and that's just mm-hmm. the way it is. Because I'm clearly not smarter than you, other people in New York. I'll just stay here all day, all night, and outwork you, and that's the only way I'm gonna survive. So for me, it wasn't until I was in my 40s, which is where I am now, that I even felt I found my first mentor, which was a guy named Steve Wilhite, who was hired by Steve Jobs as uh, you know, sort of marketing for Apple for a bit. And that was the first time in my whole life where I felt like ah, this man is like what I like. Yes. Like, where have you been? Where were you for the last two decades? I wish I could have run into you. So to start, when do you feel like you started to seek out others on your path? When exactly did you move to California? Did you know about like the Brian Traces of the world beforehand or was, did you stumble into them once you got here?
1: Yeah, great question. I think the earliest I remember, I remember graduating uh, graduating from high school. Again, none of my family had ever gone to college. I happened to have um, a gal that I was dating at the time who was extremely instrumental in my life. Um, somehow she's like, Listen, where are you going to school? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, Well, you're going to college, so I will help you. And she was in college and she, she did, she drove me around until we figured out how to get into college. And it was there that I, I started kind of, I don't know, just, I, I think it was that part out of, part out of um, need. Like I was just trying to struggle and figure my way you know, through this and here I was in this new city which was in Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky University. Um, and I didn't really know anyone. I didn't know a single soul. So I was just kind of trying to survive. And I remember um someone, and I can't remember who, but they gave me a tape. Like the old, you know, mm-hmm. the cassette tapes. Yep. And it was of Brian Tracy. And I had a I got this job up in um Lexington, which was about 30 minutes away. And I would drive my little 83 Mazda GLC up there every, every day after school. And I would pop that tape in and wore it out. It just spoke to me. He's like, listen, if you think differently, you can become different. If you get people who already have done it, you can save a lot of time because you don't have to make the same mistakes. I'm going, oh, okay. I'll just do that. And I wasn't like I think when we get older, we start throwing up reasons why things won't work or. Yeah, but, you know, it's kind of the yeah, maybe. But I think at that age, you're kind of. New and you haven't been jaded yet, so it's you're just able to someone you know find a, a, a tape and go. Oh, okay. Well, that guy just says I need to do that. I'll just go ask some people who are successful and um, and I'll find one. And that's exactly what I did. It was it wasn't a, it wasn't like much pre planning. It was just Brian Tracy said this, and then I just went and did it, and it just worked. And and I just thought that was the way it was. It was like, oh, okay. It was very very simple. Um, and, you know, part of it, I think, was luck. And, and I think when you find a good mentor, and I had a few throughout my 20s that I think kept me out of more pain than they, which is a giant help, right? I can't say that like, they catapulted me forward, but they just kept me away from a lot of things that could have been um, terrible, even in just like straight little business deals I was trying to do at the time. Um, so I, I started young back then. And I remember, I think my biggest start was... I was 16. I was a, a junior in high school. I bought my mom a scale for Christmas. Bad idea. Don't ever do that. <laughs> not not a, not a good idea. Um, but I remember I stepped on that scale and I weighed 205 pounds, a little fat kid. And I'm like, well, no wonder I can't ever get a date. I didn't realize I was this like fat. So I just got really. Angry. And I remember I went upstairs and I grabbed a piece of paper and I ended up just writing down things I wanted differently in my life. I wanted to make baseball team. I wanted to date. uh, I wanted to go on a date. I wanted to lose weight. And, um, I somehow went to the library. I made copies of that. I posted it on my locker. I posted it in my room and something magical happened within 12 weeks. I had lost 55 pounds. I had made varsity baseball and I was dating the homecoming queen. And little itty bitty wins in today's time. But I remember going, oh my God, this is the secret. If you just write down what you want, look at it, make some changes along the way, you'll not hit everything. And I think out of that, I think it was a list of 11 things, which I still have that paper today, by the way. Um, I think nine of them came true. Can and can you have,
0: please send me that? Do you can you find that? for Yeah.
1: Real? Oh yeah, I, I have it. My goal, my uh, my goal sheet. I'll I'll send it to you.
0: I love. Well, first of all, I I don't I this is, I am now showing my own cards. All right. So I'll acknowledge that. I think that is an incredible gift that you can, if you build it, they will come. I mean, look, if you write it, you can make it and uh, make it happen. For for me, I definitely believe in stated and create it. You know, I'm a stated and creative guy. Uh, anytime I've had fear, even when I know I needed to do something, the minute I can just get it out of my mouth, yeah, I know it's going to happen with my book. I was terrified to write a book. I'm not qualified to write a book. How do you do that? The minute I put it actually out there, the book got better. Like the content got better because people are like, I love the topic. You need to talk to this person. So I'm going to do, I'm actually going to do the same thing right now, which I have not announced for something that I know I'm going to do. And I'd love for you to be involved in this. So the aha, I had an aha moment down at Chip Conley's modern elder Academy. For those of you who know the name Chip, uh, he was the modern elder at Airbnb. He's been on the podcast. He bought property down in Mexico. Steven, you'd love it. It's like right in your wheelhouse if you haven't been down there. But I got to go down there for five days in December and just sort of like, to be honest, the pie chart of why I went down was like 50%. I need to disconnect to just go. 30% probably very curious if I was ever to launch a Courage Academy, how would I do it? And what could I learn from there? And then, you know, 10 to 20% collide with other amazing people, the, the the Curiosity Project and and maybe have a breakthrough. And and in that time that I was down there, I realized that I what I'm missing for courage, the level that I really, really want to play is that I want to connect people like us that want to go for it. And it's just so lonely sometimes to be the leader. It's so hard to be the leader. That the community piece is still what's missing. I don't love the mm-hmm. word community now because social media has made community mean something I don't think it really means, but the tribe. Right. So here we go. Standing and created time for me. So I know I'm going to be launching something called Courage Week. I want I want this on the calendar every year in September. I kind of feel like we have a summer siesta. <laughs> Even though January 1st is when our new year starts in our brains, we come back from summer. And I think that's the time to declare the thing you really want to go after. This is just my take. So I'm going to launch a courage week. And my hope is a decade from now, it's a trigger on the calendar that everyone can look to and turn to and go for it. And the it is going to be different f- for me than it is for you. Or the, it might be, by the way, it might not even be it for you. It might be like, I want to surround myself with others and how I'm really good at Helping you fulfill your version of the it, and that mm-hmm. brings me joy too. So, Courage Week is coming. I know that National Courage Day is going to be September sixth. I have lots of reasons why I feel like I like that day. That's a, this isn't about me right now, but you kind of inspired me to share that right now, just because mm-hmm. write it, write for me, it's stated and state it, and create it. And so, yeah. there you have it. First of all, will you join me during Courage Week? <laughs>
1: if i'm not in acting class sure absolutely all right cool do <laughs> you like that what's that
0: do you like the idea
1: yeah i do so first thing congratulations on uh we'll call it putting it out to the universe it takes it's almost like the leap you're standing on the edge and you're safe and the moment you put it out there there's risk yeah right but that is the only way things start to start to to take place. So, by putting it out there, first of all, congrats! And that's the, as you know, you know, better than anyone. That's the very first step towards towards success. And I do like it. I think that um, there is a, you know, you go, go into a beautiful environment with like minded people that have um, that have sh- uh, different stories to tell, um, different, uh, and we can all learn from each other. is a kind of a beautiful process. And it feels genuine and sincere, right? There are some of these sorts of things in my view that have kind of turned, I don't know, yeah um, commercial. Commercial, not meaning financial, but just yeah. smoke and mirrors. And I'm, I'm not personally down with that. It's not my cup of tea, um, but kind of that authentic sort of, hey, we're here to just learn from each other, I think is a, a beautiful thing.
0: I'll keep you posted. Yeah, yeah for for definitely. now it it is and, it, and everything you just said is really what it is it's yes there's you know sure we can part of the programming is to allow people to connect that are going to come there and part of the programming is to you know i always joke take the courage out of courage like what tools do you actually need to make it as easy as possible for you to leap and some of it is the network and some of it is the tools so Anyway, let's get back on track. I, I just felt like this was the right time to share that. Awesome, congrats! That sounds great. By the way, it, it, in some ways, isn't take lessons like the? It is a mentorship platform. Uh, did you ever? Did you ever feel that? Did you? Was that part of? It, it, it's It's sort of ironic that you've always had mentors, or whether it was a uh, ones you didn't know that was on a tape in your car, to the ones that you did know. By the way, I'm assuming you now met Brian Tracy.
1: Well, funny story. I won't stay here long. Um, so I moved out here to San Diego and was running. And I think, and then uh, do you know Eric Berman? Of course. Yeah. Okay. So Brother I know, from another so, mother. Oh yeah, of course. So I met Eric and, and I actually worked with him at his company in college club. And then after college club, he was doing some consulting. He called me and said, Hey, I've got this meeting. Um, you know, and I could use your internet skills to kind of help drive this in, and it was Brian Tracy, of course. And Eric to this day still runs Brian Tracy's all of Brian Tracy's um, marketing, and, and basically is his business partner. But I was on the very first meeting with him uh, and Brian, and in fact, I just saw Brian at Eric's wedding uh, last year. So just a okay, but hold on, human when, being.
0: When you actually had the moment to meet him though, How, what part, like, cause you've got two options, right? You're like, do I keep it together or yeah. do I just say, thank you? Like wh- what path did you go?
1: Um, I don't know. This is a little, I don't know why I do this, but I actually had the same cassette tapes that i had had when I was 22 and I brought them. I love that. I was like, he's like, wow, that's like a blast from the past. I go, this got me through. And I just wanted to thank you.
0: I love that, man. That's so great. And I think,
1: um, you know, it was heartfelt and he, I think he appreciated it. He probably like, honestly, he probably hears that 30 times a day, but um, he acted like I was the only one that ever told him and that felt good.
0: So as you go along your journey and you end up out here, take me through how take lessons ends up becoming a thing. Sure.
1: So I was in a, a, a brief uh, history. So I was in college, graduated from college and started working, um, selling lab supplies. And uh, I was living in Lexington, Kentucky at the time. And a guy had started a company out in Vegas and was looking for people to come out. And I said, well, what do they do? Said, oh, we're going to let people buy stuff over the Internet. And this was 96. And I said, yeah, I heard about this Internet thing. Um, great. <laughs> So, uh, again, I was 24 at the time and that was a, that was a Tuesday, Wednesday, that was a Wednesday by Friday. I had quit my job Saturday. I had packed up everything I owned and put it in a storage bin in Lexington, Kentucky and rented a U-Haul truck and drove out West with two other guys, uh, to, to start an internet company. Um, in Las Vegas that we didn't know anything we were doing. It just like, it just sounded like a really cool idea Um, because I had never been out West ever. And that was my first time out West. But again, at this kind of taking calculated risks. Um, And I don't know if this is a learned trait or kind of genetic. I do think my, my thesis is there's a combination of both. There might be a natural affinity towards it, but it is a muscle that you can continuously um, use to get stronger. And I do believe that. Totally agree. So I, I came out uh, West and that company uh, did well for a while during the first internet phase that uh, we grew from eight people to 800 people went public. Um, I was able to kind of sell a couple shares before everything went back down during the first internet uh, bust. And I took that and moved out to California. And I said, you know, what I've always wanted to do. I just always wanted to play in a rock band. Yeah. That's how I paid my way through college was DJing, and so I come from a very musically oriented family and an artist family. So I just started writing songs and playing music, and I was doing it. I had, you know, was able to save a little bit of money from the from the IPO, and um, I was out playing for fun. And my drummer in the band Enrique, he was an incredible musician, master's degree in music performance, a fabulous human being. And he was uh, he was the one that was good in the band, and I was like not that good, frankly. Uh, I was kind of like you know getting by, uh, and he kind of covered for me a lot. But he came to me one day, and uh, you know we were doing like this white stripes thing, just two of us out playing, and he's like, "Hey man, I got to quit the band." I'm like, well, there's only two of us, and you're the only one any good. So this creates a, a conundrum for me, and I said, "Well, what's the problem?" He goes, "Well, you know, I've been trying this music thing for." gosh, for like six years now. I just got married. We're trying to buy our first condo in Encinitas. Um, and and I just found out I have a baby on the way. Wow. And I can't make a living. I'm like, God, oh, this sucks. You know, you you, you spent all this time in college and all this money. Like, what are you, you going to do? And he said, I've got a job lined up. I'm going to be a cook at Chili's Restaurant in Mission Valley. And for those of you listening, Mission Valley is this, I don't know, the Mecca of like, Chili's and Cheesecake Factory restaurants here in San Diego. It's just this, this I don't know pl- place where people go to eat and and shop. But that's the last thing he wanted to do, right? He 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 wasn't a cook. He definitely didn't like Chili's, and he wanted to play music. And and Ryan, by the,
0: got, by the way, the fact that the the better option was a cook at Chili's versus the band. Tells yeah. me that maybe you guys weren't that great of a White Stripes act just between
1: the two of us. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. There are so many groups, and frankly, we, I mean, we were okay.
0: Yeah. We, we weren't going to make it, but...
1: Um, do you, you have know, that was, tape? I do, yeah. It's actually on Spotify. The okay. band is called Across the Room. We have two albums out. You can check it out. Right. They are, um, I will just, for the record, they are 90s albums, So, and they sound like 90s albums, <laughs> but they were a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, uh, to your point, He suffered and we suffered the same thing that a lot of artists do. And I'll take artists and and just innovators in general. And that is that they're, you know, they can be great at their craft, but it is very, very difficult to make a living doing what you love to do. And Enrique fell in that that category. Great at what he did. Very, very difficult to make a living. And so I said, well, you know, I kind of got pissed. Here's my good friend who all he wanted to do was make people happy through his music and he could not figure out how to pay his bills with it. So I said, well, are you, are you you working in studios? He's like, yeah, I'm recording as much as I can. I said, are you teaching? He said, yeah, I've got my poster. It's hanging up at the drugstore with all the little tabs down at the bottom, you know, that you can rip off and with the phone numbers on it. He goes, yeah, but no one's calling me. And I go, man, why, why don't you use the internet? I don't really know much about that. I'm a, I'm a musician. And I said, well, I got some experience with that from my prior company. I'll help you. And so we started take lessons in a spare bedroom in, in Mission Beach, um, which is a just a little beach area of San Diego. And with the whole idea is if we can get enough people to the website, we can keep Enrique out of Chili's. And that was the only thought, right? Did you
0: ever make is, that T-shirt?
1: <laughs> keep in, yeah save save enrique instead of save pedro yeah <laughs> um that would have been a good one so luckily for us there were tens of thousands of other artists and what turned out to be educators that had the same problem that enrique did and that is how do i do what i love to do and and not have to take a boring office job and do things that i have to do and so we use that premise
0: go ahead I was just ask, like, how often, I mean, is this the universe at work again or is this, you know, you've now done this enough times and the muscle is built and there's a love and a passion for music and you've just spent however many years understanding the internet, right? So you've taken a skill that you've learned. You've, you've taken a skill that you've built, which I would say is resilience at this point. You know, you jumped on this, let's go west to Vegas. So you've seen that before. You've taken the thing that you love. It sounds like you love the most or near the most, right? Across mm-hmm. the room on Spotify, right? And then all of a sudden this, I mean, this little moment falls in your lap, right? That's like, I got a, a baby's on the way. Like, do you, did you ever just want sort to of step back and go, this, why hasn't this been done? Pinch me moment. Thank you, Universe. Or do you just feel like, huh, wow, that's true. Like a lot of people a lot of artists would just love to get paid to do what they love and there's a need for this and off we go. Like how sentimental was this really, I guess?
1: Um, from from a sentimental point, not that sentimental. And here yeah. the reasons why is because again, I was talking with Brian Tracy about this once. And I said, you know, all these things are lining up and this was I don't know, maybe five or six years ago. I said, all these things lined up perfectly for me. And he goes, well, in a way. But what happened? Let me tell you what happened. He said, what you did is you started walking down a dark hallway. And you got to a door. And you twisted the knob of that door. And you know what happened? Nothing. The door was locked. But instead of you giving up, what happens is you kick the door a little bit, and then you happen to turn and notice another side hallway. And you followed that hallway down and there was a door there and you twisted that knob and you know what happened there nothing it was locked but there was another hallway and you got to that other hallway down to the end there was another door and you twisted that door and that knob and it opened and you would have never had that door open if you didn't start walking down the hallways where the doors were locked he goes so yes universe lines up some things for you, but at the same instance, give yourself some credit because you kept walking. And I do think there's this combination of the universe provides hints and breadcrumbs for us on what we should be doing. However, it is up to us to take the action in order to do that. The universe alone will not, I believe um, John Asraf always says, you must participate in your own rescue, right? <laughs> the universe will provide, but Yeah you've got to
0: step up. Yeah. Well, stepping up, let's talk about a decade and a half of stepping up then. Cause once that door opens, I'm sure there's lots of other hallways and lots of other doors. Some doors are locked. Some doors are open. You find some keys. I mean, it's 16 years to take, take lessons to a place where 25 million people a year now use the platform. And I think this is, both online and in person, correct? Right. Yes. What a ride, huh?
1: Hmm. And I wish I could say we were kind of like the, I don't know, the Instagrams or Airbnb's where everything was like up and to the left. You know, yeah. um, frankly, that was just never our path. We, we struggled uh, to find a business model. Um, there were a couple times very close. We were within a month or two of shutting down. Um, and at the beginning, it was just my money. So, and that was deteriorating fast. Luckily we did raise some venture capital over time, but it was, you know, it was harrowing. And uh, my journey is, you know, this looks like, oh, this is, and we all like to talk about the successes, um, but for, you know, for any listener out there who is then asking, well, shit, I'm not having that, that level of, God, this is mine, is hard. Let me be the first to tell you, and Ryan, I think you could echo this, yes. It is very, very, very difficult, and it's easy to remember the successes, but I will go on record and say we had just as many failures in that business. But what we did is we learned and iterated from each one of those failures, and we started failing less. Right, mm-hmm. year by year, we started understanding where is our business model, um, how, how how do we provide value to you know a student and a teacher so they can match and meet in the middle? How do we make money from that? Who's interested in this model? How much do we have to, accept? all these sorts of questions. And when you, you know, when you raise venture capital, we were, ended up raising about $22 million, um, 21 million, somewhere around there. You know, there comes with expectations you know, on, on growth. And so now the, on top of just having to get the business model right and prove and be, uh, you know, a, a wonderful resource for your customers, you now have a new customer. And that's your, you know, your, your funder. Sometimes that works out well, sometimes it doesn't. Um, But for us, you know, it was, it was kind of two steps forward, a step back, three steps forward. But all during that process, I would, I would tell people, I said, you know, we're not, in fact, um, I don't know if you know Mike Kren. Mike Kren is, he's the um, head of Connect here in uh, Startup San Diego here in, in, um, in San Diego. And he goes, you know, a lot of companies are like unicorns where they just, you know, they take off and they're doing great. He goes, and he said this with the, with the most love possible. He goes, you're kind of like the Energizer bunny or the cockroach. You just kind of <laughs> refuse to die. Like you just kind of keep going and year after year. And we've had a great chuckle over that, but it's so true. It's like, sometimes if you just figure out how not to die, <laughs> yeah, life, you know, life takes care of itself. And all during this path, you know, Ryan, there were hundreds of competitors, people that came out of the wood. Oh yes, I'm doing this. And I've done some version of that. And probably out of the hundred, 120 companies over the years, there were three in our field that mattered and mainly because we just stuck with it. Yeah. We were um, humbly. We, I think we were pretty smart, uh, hired some great people and we, we executed well. So it was, it was, uh, it was certainly not a direct ride to the top, um but it was a it was a challenging ride that that challenged me to become a better person a better ceo a better leader uh, and to and to and, and to make something um that we're all proud of
0: when you think back and by the way i so appreciate you sharing both sides the realities of like yeah. the goods and the the unicorn days and the donkey days right the the, the cockroach days when you think about some of those, this is a just don't die day. How often is it the 11 year old version of you boy in there? Like, do you remember that little boy still in those moments? Is that boy still living you? I I mean, I'm trying not to lead the witness a little bit, but mm-hmm. I do think that we are, a lot of us are still like little boys and girls trapped in these adult bodies just trying to get by. So like, what does it look like for you?
1: Yeah, great question. The So we are, right? What, what, uh, what happens to us, I believe, as children does reflect in our lives. And it is up to us to decide what parts of those we want to keep and what parts we're going to throw away. So for me, I went, um, I remember, gosh, it was probably eight or 10 years ago now. I went to a week long, no phone call, no cell phone um, therapy session, I guess you'll call it, called Hoffman. Oh, yeah. And Hoffman, for me, what it allowed me to do was understand that there were a lot of things from my childhood that was still um, determining how I reacted today. And going through a kind of a week long process allowed me to ask the question. Where is this decision coming from, and does it belong in my life anymore? So many of us, up to that point, and and even me, up to that point, I was you know in my early 40s. I was, um, I hadn't asked the right questions. I didn't know that some of these childhood beliefs uh, were driving some of my actions. And just by being able to be aware, to ask the question, allowed me then to make the decision. In certain instances. I had decided to throw that away, right? I I remember in one particular instance, uh, we were going through this exercise and I said out loud, we were yelling at our parents, I guess, you know, in, in a safe environment. And I said out loud, I was like, dad, you know, all the, you, know, you didn't take care of your own family. Yet we, we had to struggle and we struggled so much that I don't even want a family of my own. And I'd never said that out loud. And I didn't even realize that the reason that I, have, I don't know, aversion to wanting kids at that given point in time or a family was because of the fear, an innate fear that somehow I would do the same thing my father did. And so that realization allowed me to set that, that theory in my head free. But there are other uh, things that were happening uh, and other feelings and thoughts that I decided to keep. And one of them was this... Um, kid who felt the pain of you know not being able to provide or not having enough and so i have a mantra that i use and it is that universe help me balance being peaceful with staying hungry right so i decided like to keep the hunger because I believe, for me, that's I, I still look at it as a, a a a driver and a motivator for me, and I use that to my benefit. And it no longer it no longer negatively directs my life. So I've found a way to spin that into a, a, a strong positive. But the goal is being able to look at yourself and say, what are the actions that I'm currently taking? That are that only reside in my head. They no longer they're no longer in the world. Whether it's parents did this to me, grandparents did that to me, uncle whatever, you know. In fourth grade, I got beat up. Whatever, that's not here today. But you're still letting it control your life. Make the decision not to. And by making that decision, it allows it really a, a lot of change.
0: I uh, love how intentional you are. Uh, and by the way, that word hunger. Interesting how that word might, might have evolved for you over the years to hunger, like stay hungry. And, you know, the journey that you're on now, I'd love to like, like, I'd love for you to sort of set the stage of where you are and like, what, because this is just audio, what I'm looking at. But before we do that, let's just sort of put a bow on take lessons real fast. So two real quick questions. One, you know, you said you funded it at first. I'm sure there was like an, Oh shit moment. <laughs> and, and then you're like, well, how do you even raise money? Like, how did that conversation even come about? And you know, 21 million is not a small number. I'm sure that's over a period of time as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. So like, what was the big aha learning moment for even asking for money or raising money? And then let's, I mean, again, I wish we had two hours, right? Cause, but like, and I really want to talk about what you're doing now. Talk me through the, you know, this past year, like you, you are officially free of take lessons, I believe. Correct? Right. Yes. All right. So let's go back to like VC, like how did that, asking for money? What was that like? How, how hard was that?
1: Well, in the first company, that company raised, and again, it caught the first internet bubble. So it raised, God, $114 million. And I watched, you know, I wasn't the founder, but I was an early employee and I watched uh, the CEO. He'd just go out and talk to people and they'd give him money. I was like, Oh, okay. That's kind of <laughs> how things work. And then um, at college club um, that company raised 80, somewhere around $86 million or so and the same sort of thing, still in the first internet bubble. Right. So they'd go out, talk to people. And it happened that a buddy of mine introduced me to a VC that I then introduced to the company and that VC invested. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'll just, if I ever start a company, I'll just go do that. Um, I didn't really know any better, I think was the, the answer, the correct answer. When I started my company, I, you know, I, I'd seen now companies crash and burn during that internet phase. Uh, I did have a little capital myself. So I put in the first, you know, few hundred thousand dollars and um, I got to the point where I'm, I had to decide, listen, either I got to keep funding it, which is going to really start hurting here. Or I've got to go get get some money, and so we raised some friends and family money. And in fact, Eric was the very first investor in the company. As a matter of fact, Eric Berman. Awesome. And I think he put in five grand. Uh, but you know, I raised some money. I put the, a deck together that I'd seen, uh, you know, another guy do, and started talking to people here in San Diego who who had raised money, and and it, you know, I raised probably eight hundred grand from friends and family, and that kind of got us through to. And I started learning that money. Then is expected to hit certain milestones. Once we've hit those milestones, that then gives us the liberty to go raise more. Like, okay, I see how we can build a business here. So we just focused on hitting those milestones. And then when we went out to raise venture, um, you know, I don't know, at that point we were strictly music lessons. So a music lessons company? Not really a VC play, you know. Uh, but what we what I wanted to do is I said, if I could get this right for music, I could then tack on languages and tutoring and sports and all different types of things where people could learn both in person and online. And that was the vision from day one. Um, and so we went out to raise, um, venture, uh, I'll tell you this real quickly. So the, I think the big, the big change came when we were still in music, I was on a, a treadmill at fit downtown at a, at the, the club downtown oh, yeah. early in the morning. It was, I don't know, 6.30 in the morning, there was a guy on CNBC radio named, uh, CNBC, I was watching it, named Steve Hare. He was the corporate vice president at Best Buy. And he said, hey, we're going to go um, put these music stores inside of Best Buys, and we're gonna sell musical equipment that ties with electronics, and we're gonna have, we're gonna have um, stores in there where you can learn to play. And I'm like, "Oh, they need us. They don't know, gonna know what they're doing. So I got off the treadmill, And I went home, and I found Steve Hare's number and I called him and he didn't answer my call. So I called him again, didn't answer my call 38 times and he answered my call. Finally, he's like, what do you want? Jesus. (laughs) And I told him. And three weeks later, we were in uh, Minnesota or Michigan, wherever they're at, they're up there. I believe it's Minnesota. And we struck a deal where we were going to provide all of Best Buy stores with the lessons and we we're going to run that. And at that given point in time, I had no way to pay for that. So we took that deal, went and started talking to VCs. I talked to 114 venture capitalists for our first deal. Wow. But all it takes is one, right? You just have to find the one that believes in, in and already has a, a, a kind of a thesis around what you're doing. So we found that lead investor, Crosslink Capital, wonderful, wonderful venture capital firm. And then we were, uh, you know, we were off to the races.
0: I mean, first of all, to use the Tracy metaphor, it's like 37 locked doors and not, by the way, it's the same damn door that you knocked on until the, the door finally, you know, opened and then on the on the VC side. So, wow. But what all... What all option did you have you had to make it work at this point yeah again i think i think there's
1: power i was just talking to a friend um you know i'm hooking up with some guys up here and um his name's um andrew Lechevsky and he is the uh producer uh i'll remember the name of the show it's like a concierge doctor show on usa i'll, I'll remember it here in just a second but basically I asked him, I said, why did you get into production? And, you know, he goes, I had to almost live in my car for you know two years. I said, well, what kept you going? He goes, what kept me going is I was so, I had only done this for so long that I knew that to go back and be a doctor or a lawyer or even a business person was going to take so long that I just didn't have any choice. And it's almost this thesis of kind of like, there are no, the the bridge is burned behind me. Yeah. Right. I don't have uh, oh, the song the, the the show is called Royal Pains. I just remembered. Um, but if you don't have the bridge behind you, you have no choice but to move forward. And, you know, Andrew had said in some of my own words that that's kind of how he had experienced it. And I kind of had the same experience.
0: All right. We got 10 minutes to go here. Let's get to the rainbow. Yeah, just, let's we, there's a rainbow. Right. There so is. what was the rainbow like? And did you kind of get to a point where you're like, it's time to sell this thing? Did they find you? How did that happen?
1: Great question, Ryan. So when you're taking venture capital, you are for sale immediately. That's the name (laughs) of the game, right? They're not signing up so you can get a paycheck. They're not signing up for a dividend. They're signing up to exit. So as a CEO, you know that that's part of the game. For us, we had, uh, you know, we had been funded for a while and there are cycles in the marketplace. And sometimes you are hot. Marketplaces as general is hot. And then other times you could, you could have an incredible business, but you are not getting funding, period, because it's just out of favor. And you see these cycles both in public markets as well as private markets as well. So uh, in our particular case, I had seen a couple of these markets where marketplaces were hot and then they, get, they got cold and we missed them. In our particular instance, the pandemic hit, and we were already doing very, very well, growing nicely, a uh, great team, and the pandemic hit, and we exploded. Yeah, how could you we, know Our that? business grew um, exponentially over you know prior year, and I went to my board, and I said, now's the time, and so we hired a, a banker. And you know, put our deal terms together, went and talked to a lot of people, had a lot of interest from both private equity as well as what we call strategics, which are people who could fit, take lessons into their own business. And eventually, uh, you know we had quite a few suitors, and that you know a group out of the Pacific Northwest, Microsoft, ended up um, ended up being the the right place for us to to continue to build. So we were very fortunate. The deal was, you know, Microsoft's a great company. They are um, very, let's—I'll call them—very diligent in their uh, acquisition process. Uh, and to get a deal done, um, there's these things called hair on the deal, which means basically means they're looking for a reason to say no, just because the deal would pull from their brand. In our particular case, um, we didn't have—we uh, didn't have all those negatives associated with our business. It's a, you know, it's in a great industry. Um, it helps people. It's wholesome and uh and they they wanted into kind of this space to to do a few things, so we were very fortunate the people who uh are running the business now are extremely diligent and knowledgeable in kind of how how businesses operate so I couldn't have been happier and more importantly is all of our all of our employees not only did they keep their jobs but they all got raises That's and awesome. uh, you know I don't know if you're a Microsoft pays a little bit better than we could. <laughs> so, um, it was just a wonderful win-win opportunity that deal closed, uh, last year. Well, yes, it was October of, so like 14, 15 months ago, and it's been, um, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of, a lot of testing. They've expanded out. We were 96% U S and they just launched India. They they're launching, you know, Latin America, Uh, they're, you know, taking it worldwide and doing things that we just never had the ability to do. So I'm very, very happy and pleased with, uh, with where they are.
0: I mean, two obvious questions come off that both quick answers. One, does it, are you like, oh man, they're taking it global. Like, I wish I still had a little part of it. Or are you like fly little bird fly?
1: No, it's, uh, it's not my company. No, so I'm, I'm fine with that. It's, uh, there, There is a time, I always say this, there's a time in, in, for a CEO or a leader, you need to know when your time is done. Or else someone will tell you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Question number two. Enrique. How did he do in all of this?
1: Uh, Enrique. So, a couple things. So, Enrique never took that job at Chili's.
0: Hey. And, uh,
1: yeah. Not only does he still teach on the platform, he has two beautiful daughters. He makes his living playing music, and he has toured the world now with um, Latin American artists, so he's doing very, very well. And one of my most proudest moments is um, I made sure that he also had founder stock in our company, and so when we exited, I was able to surprise him with a a nice upside that he did not expect.
0: That's so cool, man. Bravo. Seriously. All right. Thank you. I can't wait to listen to across the room, by the way, that's on my list. So we're kind of right back to where we started, but you know, it takes, it takes a while to hear the story. Right. Yeah. So now what, right. Entrepreneur, most entrepreneurs I know after they, you know, drive themselves mad on a beach, right. You know, that line between busy and boredom is very thin are like, well, what's the next company I'm going to start. And I'll admit what, Really drew me back to you, Stephen, was I saw one of your posts that you shared. It was even on LinkedIn or Facebook. I think it was on Facebook, actually. I could be getting this wrong. But it was you talking about this new lead that you just had to try. And you're in L.A. You made the move. You sure look like you're in a studio and still see tenets of music as there's a, a piano-ish behind you, correct?
1: Right keyboard
0: so talk to me about acting and why you have to do this
1: so i again come from a i'm i think i'm half half business half artist and i come from an, an artist background i happen to understand business pretty pretty well and what i learned from take lessons was that there is this 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 crux where you could do both you could do business but also you know doing artistry is along with it and i also learned the value of jumping in trying something new that you didn't know whether you could succeed or not and some of those challenges are what creates the most growth in a human being i believe so when i was looking around i took a you know a few months off to try to figure out you know Who am I? (laughs) What do I do next? And I had made a list of things that I potentially wanted to do. Um, You know, sitting on the beach, luckily was not one of them. I, I, I'm not, uh, I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I had looked at um, politics, whether I wanted to get involved in public service and run for office. Um, I had looked at starting another company, sitting on boards or um, jumping into another creative aspect uh, that I wanted to do. So I started looking around talking to a few people and I've, I've done a little bit of theater in my day and always just had this draw to this. And so I started studying it and realized that the ability, first of all, uh, what I knew is I wanted to, whatever I did next, I wanted to be uh, very uncomfortable. I wanted it to challenge me. I wanted to do something new that stimulated my brain in a creative way. And, um, I've always loved acting. I've done a little bit in my day. And so what I decided to do is not start another company. Um, To run away from that, which comes the easiest. (laughs) And I did it on purpose to challenge me. And I wanted to get super uncomfortable. And so I moved to Hollywood. I'm in Hollywood right now. I'm in uh, acting classes three to four days a week. I'm like, this is my full-time job. And I am running hardcore at it. Um, and learning, uh, things that I'd never thought I would ever learn before, um, being really uncomfortable in class. I'm obviously like the class is normally between 19 to 25, six-year-olds and I'm a tad bit older than that. <laughs> and I just don't care. Right. Yeah, I just awesome. don't care. I'm, I'm here. And also people are like, well, you're just up there to learn or like, are you going to like try out for a role? And I liken it to, you know, if you're in high school football or college football and you're, it's great if you go to practice, but the reason you're practicing, so you can get in the game on Sunday, right? And so um, I, and I will also state for the record, so mark my word, I will absolutely be auditioning and I expect to land roles, period. I am I am applying some of my business um, and that tenacity and that drive to um, a creative aspect. So not only am I going to get really good, at uh, just the creative aspect, but I'm going to drive this hard and have a ton of fun in the process. Like I am enjoying myself like crazy. So I feel very fortunate.
0: That's so great. Well, look, to use the sports metaphor, right? Like if if you're still in Pop Warner or high school, let's say it's high school, you don't really jump right to the NFL, do you? Nope. So I'm assuming you feel at peace with where you are in your development as you continue down this path to be eventually ready to be spotted, to eventually be, re- is that, how, is that how you see it?
1: Yeah. I, you know, my, my coach told me, he uh, said, listen, this is a you know long road. You got to be ready for rejection. And immediately I remember being rejected hundreds of times by venture capitalists. It's
0: no different. And
1: so, so I just don't care. Like it yeah. just, Everything I've done prior to now has just prepared me for this. In fact, I've got this on my screensaver. I'll read it to you. This was from, um, uh, it says, you're right on time for your next chapter. All the prior chapters prepared you for this moment, even though this is a page you've never seen before. Trust the process.
0: You're ready. So great. Uh, and, 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 and you have fans already, Yeah, uh, and I'm a fan, you know, I I'm rooting for you and I, I can't imagine I'm the only one. And and for those, look, just to throw it out there and it, you can follow Steven along, I know M. Stephen Cox is where you can find you on Instagram. Um, yeah, M as in Michael. Yes. M. M. Steven Cox. Are you, so are you going to change your name?
1: Um, I don't plan on it. I don't know. I kind of like my name, so we'll see uh,
0: Hey, you know, who knows? It's so funny. I, I throw these weekly dose of courage emails out every Thursday to, you know, just who needs a a little nudge. Right. And, and one that I know I'm doing that I haven't done yet is pretty much exactly what you stated. Yours was much more elegant. I'm usually pretty like much more layman. I'll just put it (laughs) that way. And, and mine is, I think in life, the minute you care and don't care at the same time, you're on your way. Yeah, And I think it's so clear that you care and don't care. And like, of course you care and like it lights you up and you also are, are able to not care and you don't let gravity, the wrong type of gravity put you down. And when you look at it the way you have it, it's all just the little battles, these little, it, you're exactly where you should be. It, it, it allows you to stay down the path that you're on. And wow, you know again, I I think it's just so great what you're go what you're doing. You, you can't be an, an actor or not act on the idea of going for it. So thank you so much for giving us the the story.
1: Yeah, it's great being with
0: you today. I think we're only in Act two. We might be uh, in, <laughs> in late act one by the way. I mean, there's
1: a lot yeah there's a lot more to this story for sure.
0: Um, you said the show is Royal Pains.
1: Um, yeah, Andrew's show is called Royal Pains, uh, and that's now off air, but it ran for 104 episodes, one of the uh, really long running
0: show. And we'll listen to across the room, and then I yeah. can't wait to add a third, Things Happen in Threes, that mm-hmm. first commercial, or sh- what happens if it's a commercial? Will you take it?
1: Probably. In fact, I'm doing a class uh, January 24th or so that's uh, specifically just teaching commercials, what the differences is and the different way of acting and, and what you're looking to, you know, the objectives of the particular script. So I'm, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm also, uh, I, I'm looking at, uh, yeah, I'm looking at different sorts of uh, acting uh, uh, realms. My coach says that it will probably be six months or so before I'm actually start ready to audition. Um, and I'm great with that. Like I get six months to learn from some of the best people in the industry uh, how to do this. And some of it comes natural. Um, there's no doubt about it. I, I do have, thankfully, and I'm very humble that I, uh, hum, uh, humble inside that I, it does come a little bit naturally to me. So it's not, um, so off the wall that I can't do it. Uh, but there's, oh, there's so much learning. It's, uh, and I can't wait. That's, how I get to learn for the next six months before I even have to step up.
0: I mean, the irony that the, CEO who sold Take Lessons is now taking lessons. It's yeah. Not, exactly. You know, it's there. All right. Yeah. Stay courageous, Steve. Great to see you. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Courageous Podcast. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so more people can find us. See you again next week.